so much busyness, so much mental activity, so much money that I spend, so much, um, so much of my life is spent trying to ignore or find ways around this inconsolable secret that he says. Um, so listen to this quote. He says, in speaking of this desire for our own far off country, which we find ourselves, which we find in ourselves even now, I feel a certain shyness. I'm almost committing an indecency. I'm trying to rip open the inconsolable secret in each one of you. The secret which hurts so much that you take your revenge on it by calling it names like nostalgia or romanticism and adolescence. The secret also which pierces with such sweetness that when in very intimate conversation, the mention of it becomes imminent. We grow awkward and affect uh, to laugh at ourselves. The secret we cannot hide and cannot tell though we desire to do both. We cannot tell it because it's a desire for something that's never actually appeared in our experience. And we cannot hide it because our experience is constantly suggesting it and we betray ourselves like lovers at the mention of a name. And I think what he's getting at here is that we, um, we've got this innate desire in us that is um, for the supernatural. It is for what is beyond us. It is for what is beyond this world. But we, we try to kill off any acknowledgement and cut off any acknowledgement of the supernatural or anything outside of the material world or anything outside of what I can control. And so what happens when I do that, when we do that, when we cut off um, and sort of plug our ears and, and run away from the reality of this, that there's more than what I can see with my eyes right now, the supernatural world that we live in, um, then, then all, I've, all I have left is to try to, f to fill and um, satisfy this desire in me with lesser things, with things that I can see, things that I can control, things that I can purchase, experiences that I can go have. Um, and the emphasis is really on control because it's, it's terrifying to not be in control of this. And so I'm just ramming up against um, over and over and over through the days, through the years, um, this reality of like, I cannot, I cannot satisfy this desire, but I'm doing everything in my power to pretend like it's not there. Um, and so I'm, I'm hating it. I'm hating myself for having it. I'm hating the uh, pain that I experience when I try to satisfy it in ways that I know ultimately aren't gonna satisfy it, but they make me forget for a little bit. Um, I hate the fact that I have it and that I know, even if I want to pretend like I don't, that there is a supernatural being who gave it to me and put it in me. And so I resent him and I try to pretend like he doesn't exist. Um, it makes us do all kinds of stuff. And so um, Jesus is meeting us here in this place um, and he's inviting us to um, come and hear from him the way that he's coming to this woman in our passage. Uh, Lizzie, if you want to come on up. Um, we're in John 4, and uh, we're in this series called Be Curious, and the idea is that um, we've got a lot of ideas about who Jesus is, and, and we've been fed a lot of ideas of who Jesus is, and so what we want to do is just ask him for his help to suspend those and uh, to really just see who he is and to hear him with his own, from his own mouth and um, firsthand experience, um, who is this Jesus and what is he really after and what is he like and what does he want for me? Um, and so, Lizzie. Um, 
our passage today comes from John 4, verses 3 through 30 and 31. He left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was, or who it is that is saying it to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living, living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? And he, Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know the, I know that Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And just then, his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with the woman, but no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of town and were, or were coming to him. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. This is the word of the Lord. Father, as we come to your word, um, we are so hungry, so thirsty. And I pray that even now in the, this silence, uh, this moment, this prayer, that you would do us the service of ripping open our chests and um, laying our desires bare so that we can see them, that we can know them, uh, that we can bring them to you, and that we can um, have our thirst quenched by you. Lord, I pray that you would come, your spirit would come in power uh, and, and visit um, every single man and woman in this room. Lord, that you would, you would come and convict us where we need correction. You would come and encourage us where we need uh, deep encouragement. You would strengthen us. Lord, you would remind us of how much you love us and how we are made for you. Please do that, Lord, and, and thank you 
that you promised to do that. So, Lord, we, we give you this time. We give you ourselves. And uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so this, this woman, um, most of y'all are, are probably very familiar with this passage. Um, but this woman is somebody who is... Um, the, the, the narrator here, John, as he's writing this, he wants to tell us right out of the gate that this, some things about this woman. And when he says that she is coming to draw water uh, at this hour, which is noon, the hottest time of the day, um, he's telling us something that people who are reading this uh, at the time that he wrote it would know exactly what he's trying to say. Like she is here because she doesn't want to see anyone. Um, she has made a practice in her life to come and draw water, this necessity, this thing that she has to have um, that she'd probably rather not have to have. Um, she comes every day slogging this big uh, jar, you know, whatever it is that she's filling up with her water for the day. And she's coming in the heat of the day in this arid place to, um, to get this, this thing that she needs. And um, so it, it's, you know, it's like last week we talked about Nicodemus and we see that Jesus is not just broadcasting in general to everybody through the same channels. Um, he is coming to each individual person just like he does to each one of us and meets us where we need to be met. And so when he's going to Nicodemus, this really highly educated, proud man who's too proud to say, I don't understand, um, he's talking to him about birth and he's talking to him about infancy. And he's saying, you are an infant. <laughs> That's where we are. And this woman here is a very different person. She has a very different life experience. She's a Samaritan woman, uh, which, as she says, in the, and John says as he's writing this passage, Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Um, there's this whole thing that goes back. We'll, we, we'll touch on it a little bit. But um, basically, I mean, you, if you want to think like maybe some places in the South during the civil rights times of black and white, um, maybe, maybe something like that. There was just no mixing. There was no... Um, dealings. And so this woman is a Samaritan woman. She is uh, a woman. And so uh, rabbis would teach that men weren't even allowed to talk to their wives in public. Um, there, was, there was, you know, the appearance of evil. Um, There's, you know, a whole bunch of stuff there that we could go into as well. But um, so certainly um, this woman is, uh, she is a woman who is a Samaritan and she is at this well at a very strange hour all by herself. And Jesus is there waiting for her. And uh, Jesus is there and he's weary from his journey. He's hot, he's tired, he's thirsty. And when she comes to the well, he says, hey, um, why don't you give me a drink of water? And thus begins this, this interaction, um, this Jesus moving into her life and wanting to uh, work against what she's wanting to do so badly, which is to cut off her desires. Um, and he's here to awaken them. And so when he, in, he asks her, um, remember, he's not even supposed to greet her uh, for a couple different reasons. Um, but not only does he greet her, he asks her for something. He's, he's wanting to have an interaction that draws her in. And so her first response is um, basically, are you a predator or are you just pitiful? Like she, she can't, whatever he is, she can't help but be curious. Like, what are you doing? You are a Jewish man and you are talking to me, a Samaritan woman. What are you doing? 
Like, are you here to hit on me or do something to me? Or are you here because you're just so pitiful, you don't have anything and I'm your only hope. Like, you're so desperate for water. You don't have a jar, you don't have anything that it's like, you don't even care about social uh, conventions anymore because you're just so pitiful that you need help from anyone who will give you help. And so um, Jesus says, uh, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And that word for living water is, um, again, a double meaning. Jesus loves doing that. It, that means living water, but that also means running water. Like we need fresh water here in the desert. We need a, a well that we can tap down into. We need a stream. We need something. And so um, Jesus says, yeah, actually... Um, if you knew who I was, I mean, think about this interaction. She comes and there's this poor man with nothing in the heat of the day. And he's like, hey, could you give me a drink? And then she's like, wait, what are you doing? And he's like, well, actually, if you knew who I was, then you'd be asking me for a drink. I'm like, what? Like, who is this guy? Oh, I know now. He's crazy. Um, and so now she's, you know, now, now she's in this place where she's probably just like, oh, okay. Like, I've seen this before. This is not my first rodeo. Like, as, as we go on into the story, we later, uh, Jesus later reveals that she's been married five times and she's living with a man now who's not her husband. And so um, in this culture, women can't divorce. And so um, she has been left five times. And so you think about the kind of guys that she's been married to. Um, think about the kind of guys that would, would leave her, um, you know, so probably easy come, easy go kind of people, um, probably a lot of over-promising and under-delivering, um, and she finds herself uh, in a very vulnerable place, and now she's with a man who may even be, we don't know, but he may even be somebody else's husband. So when Jesus starts talking like this, and he's like, actually, I've got something for you, she's like, yeah, okay, I've heard that before a few times. And she says, sir, um, you don't have anything to draw water with and this well is deep. Where are you gonna get that running water, that living water that you're talking about? And then she, uh, the, the way this is written in the Greek, it's like with a negative, like she's anticipating a negative response. She's like, yeah, you, you think too highly of yourself. Like you're not greater than our father Jacob, the one who like found this well for us and gave it to our people. So this woman, um, you know, very quickly we get into this mixing of the, the metaphysical and the physical, the, the spiritual and the material, uh, because Jesus is, is using this avenue of water to talk to her. And he's saying, I, I see you. I see you coming here, and, and the same pain that you feel for having to come to this place, the same resentment you feel, the same shame you feel for having to come to this place every day in the heat of the day, by yourself, away from people, having to get this thing that you have to have that you wish you didn't have to have like this. You wish that you didn't have to be vulnerable, but you are. You wish that you didn't have to depend on somebody else or something else to get this thing that you need to live, but you do. 
Let's talk about that. You know, and you can just see the, the cynicism in her. You know, the pain and the frustration and just the, like, deadening, which, you know, we're not a stranger to that. Like, when you've been hurt, um, when you've had your heart awakened and then crushed, um, that's the easiest place to go is just to want to just cut it off. Like, yeah, I don't ever want to feel that again. I don't ever want to have to go through that again. And Jesus is, is, he is constructing a bridge right now for her. And he's saying the same reality is that you are a human being who is made to have water every day or you will die. I'm telling you that, and you already know, but I, I'm drawing, I'm connecting this for you that um, your soul was made for this deep intimacy that you have to have or you will cease to be human. And now we're starting to get real mixed up here in, in what we're talking about. Are we talking about, are we talking about running water or are we talking about a different kind of water? Are we talking about satisfying our thirst? What kind of thirst? But this woman, you know, she doesn't just walk away from Jesus. And even when she's, thinking like, who is this guy that, that, that is trying to promise me something that he can't deliver on? Um, she's still standing there. Her presence and her words betray her. They're like, even though she's been hurt a thousand times, even though she is experiencing the pain of this um, shame and this longing that's unfulfilled, she's still standing there because she's, she can't escape it. She's made for it. And that, that is the, the curse, isn't it? <laughs> Of like, no matter how much I want to run away from this, this thing that is so painful and so exposing, I also can't because I don't have anywhere else to go because that's what I was made for. Um, in Jeremiah 2.13, God says this to his people. He says, my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me the fountain of living waters and carved out for themselves cisterns, which are big stone enclosures that hold water, broken cisterns that can hold no water. My people have run away from me, the only one who can satisfy their souls with my presence, with union with me, with fellowship with me, and instead, they've, they've spent their lives running around constructing these cisterns to try to, um, you know, I'm the fountain of living water, always flowing. I'm the only one. And so without me, all they can do is build these giant stone troughs to try to collect water from other places and hold it in there. But all those troughs are cracked and the water just seeps out and it's dead water anyway. And the reason we do that is um, Proverbs 19.2 says this, desire without knowledge is not good. And the Lord's saying, we, we have a desire problem. She has a desire problem. This whole world has a desire problem. We have this deep aching desire in us, the inconsolable secret, this thirst for living water. 
but we don't know that. We don't want to know that. Maybe we do know that and we push it down or we pretend like we don't know it. But it's desire without knowledge that makes us run away from the only source that can satisfy us and just spend so much of our lives, so much effort, so much mental energy, so much money, so much time, so many relationships just trying to build something that can hold our desires, that can hold us, that can satisfy us, that can fill us, that can quench this thirst. And it's, it's not going to happen. And not only is it not going to happen, but it's going to create more pain. So now we have not only the pain of unfulfilled desire, but we have the pain of uh, the sin that we commit and live out of in trying to fill that desire with something else. And now we're just compounded. So, so we have that original thirst, and now we have the weight and the extra weariness of the weight of the sin that we're living in. And then we have the extra weight of the shame from the sin that we're living in. And now we have, <laughs> we're just stacking up bricks on our backs. And so because this woman has this desire and she can't stop and this desire is good, um, she's like, you know, you, you're, not as, you're not as able as you say you are. In verse 13, Jesus says, listen, everybody who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. Listen to what he's saying. The water that I give you, if you drink of it, you will never be thirsty again. And what's going to happen is the water that I give you will become in you a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Like, think about the woman hearing that. That's crazy. That's crazy talk. Like, I'm, you know, what he's essentially saying is, like, I'm giving you magic water. It's like Jack and the Beanstalk's beans. Like, I have this water that if I give it to you, it will become in you a spring of water that will never stop flowing and you'll never be thirsty again. And so what does this woman say to that? Get out of here? You're crazy? No. What does she say? Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. She is so hungry for this thing that maybe she can't even put words to, that now she's left her cynicism because what he is talking about is so dead on. It is like an arrow to her heart that is no matter how crazy it sounds, she's like, you know what? I'm willing to believe that you're magic. Like that's how hungry I am. That is how thirsty I am. It's like, let's say in the one in 5,000 odds that you are a magician who can do this, I don't want to miss this opportunity. I mean, think about that. This woman is desperate. She is so thirsty. She's like, finally, somebody at least is talking about this thing that I have in me. That's the closest I've gotten. Nobody's talked to me like this before. And so even though I don't even necessarily know what you're talking about or know if it's possible, I might be willing to believe that you're a wizard. If you can talk about this, maybe you can do something about it. So please give me this water. But listen to what she says. Give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. You know, Jesus talks about her not being thirsty again 
in a different way. What she's talking about now is effectively killing her desire and removing painful reminders of her sin, her shame, um, all the adventures that her desire has led her down, those paths that she's gone down. And um, we do that too. She's saying, please just give me anything to meet this thing so that I don't have to be vulnerable anymore. I don't have to be thirsty anymore. I don't have to feel this feeling anymore. And think about that for us. Like, you know, what forms does that take? Um, that looks like me avoiding certain people, avoiding certain conversations, avoiding uh, places where we're going to, this desire in me is potentially going to be exposed. It keeps me doing this with everybody in my life. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to go to that small group. I'm not going to have a conversation with this person. I'm not going to, when we do have conversations, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to answer honestly because I, it's too painful, but I also can't stop thinking about it. I can't stop kind of just being right there on the fringe because it's, it's too painful to go in either direction. I can't leave. I can't just pretend like this doesn't exist. But also, um, I've got too much baggage. I can't, I can't let myself go there. Um, and fortunately and unfortunately for her and for us, Jesus didn't come to kill those desires. He came to wake them up and make them stronger. He says, uh, hey, go call your husband and come back, and then we'll talk some more. And now she's like, oh, man, I don't want to be disqualified. <laughs> she's like, oh, I don't have a husband, so we're good, so let's keep talking. And he's like, uh, okay, technically, because you've had five husbands, and you're now living with a man who's not your husband. She's like, oh, I'm, I'm so close, and now I'm exposed, and now I'm disqualified. And he's like, no, no, you are exposed, but just stay with me here. You know, I had um, two conversations this week that really sat in my mind as I was thinking about this sermon. Um, one was a friend who's not followed Jesus, um, who's, who's been in this long-term long dating relationship, and he was telling me just how painful it was. He was saying, you know, we, we live together, we fight all the time, we, we break up about once a week, we scream, we yell, you know, it's just like crazy town. Um, but I don't know what to do because it's like I can't be with them, I can't be without them, um, just stuck. And, um, you know, they're on to something. Like, there's a desire that's awake in them. Um, and then I had a conversation with somebody who, who does know Jesus and has for a long time, um, and it was like their heart's just dead. It's like, no, nah, just kind of going through the motions and um, kind of do what, what she does here next. Um, when Jesus is, is talking about her and right where she is in the exposure, it's like he's saying, hey, I know all about your relationship and I know all about you and all about your past. Let's talk. 
And the next place she goes is to settle for religion. I perceive that you're a prophet. Um, let's talk about the right place to worship because some people say that it's on this mountain. Some people say that it's on this mountain. Um, again, she's saying it's, it, uh, this is so painful. It's this dance, right? It's this constant dance back and forth of like, I want more, but you've got to get away from me. And I was thinking about this, these two conversations. It's like I have this, um, you know, one friend who is just out there and lost and is not following Jesus at all. Um, but they're, they're so much closer because their heart is awake. <laughs> their heart is awake to this reality that like, man, I got this thing that I can't get away from. And then this other friend who is following Jesus, who's just like, um, asleep at the wheel. And it's like just settling for religion. Like, well, just, yeah, just, I spend time to get to know more about him and like learn more information and, And so, thankfully, Jesus loves us too much to leave us there. Um, what, what that friend who is, is in this crazy relationship has gotten to is Proverbs 19.22 that says, what a person desires is unfailing love. That's why this woman kept going back to men, just hoping against hope. That's why um, we keep running back into relationships um, even when we've been hurt. Because what a, a person desires more than anything is unfailing love because that's what we were made for. But Ecclesiastes 3.11 also says that God has put eternity into our hearts. So there's this desire for an eternal, unfailing love. And when Jesus um, receives her question about religious things, intellectual things, um, he just moves in for the kill and he says, hey, look, I'm closing the gap because there's a day coming and is now here when uh, we're not going to be talking about worshiping on some mountain somewhere. We're talking about like the intimate union and communion of God and flesh. Like there is a day coming and is now here with me, this man who is standing before you when God will dwell with his people as he intends and as he desires listen to this song of solomon 2 8 and 13 this is um talking from the perspective of the bride of christ talking about jesus talking about god and his people it says my beloved speaks and says to me arise my love my beautiful one and come away for behold the winter is past and rain is over and gone the flowers appear on the earth the time of singing has come the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land the fig tree ripens the vines are in blossom, they give forth fragrance. Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. That is the call of our God to us. I am here to capture your heart. I am here to have this union with you, this communion with you. That is why I've come. And Jesus is standing there saying, um, this is reality. Is God is seeking worshipers. And that word for seeking is desiring. You have desires and God has desires. God is desiring and coming to make that, to realize that desire. He is coming to um, get worshipers for himself to live in intimacy with him forever. And that is why I'm standing before you. 
And this, this realizing, this desire involves ransom. And Jesus has come to be weary in a weary world with weary people so that he can give us living water. And Jesus has given us himself in every way possible. Jesus has come, you know, the Bible is really clear that God has this cup of wrath, um, that everyone who's apart from him will drink this cup of wrath down to the bitter bottom. And Jesus has come to say, no, no, I'm going to drink that cup on behalf of my people so that now they can drink the cup of the wedding feast, so that they can now have rivers of living water. That's what they're going to drink because of what I've done for them. John 6, 53, 54 says this. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. He's saying, what I have come to do is, is give you myself in every way possible so that you can have life. And when he talks about this living water welling up in us to eternal life, he's talking about this gift of the Holy Spirit, this one who mediates the very presence of Jesus. And he's saying, my people will now have my spirit in them so they will never be alone. They will never have this thirst. And it will well up. It will continue to spring up. It will slowly increase into eternal life where we will be together forever. Isaiah 44, 3 says, uh, God says, I will pour water on the thirsty land. You are so, so thirsty and streams on the dry ground and I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. And Romans 5, 5 says, um, that hope that we have to have that thirst satisfied, it will not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. And so Jesus, what he is doing here is he is inviting this woman to say, do not quench those desires. In fact, you need to shake the dust off of them and pull them out of your closet and wake them up. You're just looking in the wrong place. You need to wake those desires up and let them lead you to me. And when you come to me, you don't have to be afraid of who you are or what you've done or the shame that you carry or the sin that you've committed because that's why I'm here. I have come to drink the cup of God's wrath, to give you myself so that you can drink from the Holy Spirit, the rivers of living water that will dwell within you forever. That is what's happening here because God desires you, because I desire you. And I desire to be with you the way that a young lover desires to be with his bride. I want to ask you to come away with me and just be together. That is who this God is. That is who this God is that is pursuing us, that is waking our hearts up, that is waking our desires up so that he can satisfy them. And, and going back up to the, the first thing Jesus says to her is, if you knew who was standing before you right now and you knew what he had to give you, you would ask him for it. And that's what he's saying to us. If, if you knew who I was, if you knew that the God of the universe is standing before you, with the, the rivers of living water that you desire, this thing that you have spent so long, this relationship that you've spent so long burying and hiding and covering and trying to satisfy with other things. If you knew that I was standing before you with this very thing that you were made for and that I would give it to you if you just ask, just ask. That's what he's saying to every single one of us today. 
just ask. Just come and be honest. Come and be honest about this feeling you have in you that you can't get rid of. Come and be honest about all the ways that you've tried to get rid of it before and all the pain that that's brought to you. And just dump it all. And then ask me to give you what you were made for, that you're so thirsty for, that you can't get for yourself. And I will give it to you. It's not going to be an interview. It's not going to be a maybe. It's not going to be if you say the magic words. He's saying, I'm standing before you telling you, just ask me and I will do it. That's, that's all that needs to happen. It's the invitation that we heard from Isaiah 55. Come, everyone who thirsts and who doesn't have any money, and buy the richest food and the greatest wine you've ever had without cost. It does have a cost, but you and I aren't paying it. Jesus is paying it so that we can enjoy him forever. And so now we are being set free. We're being set free to experience that communion with him, but we're also being set free to set others free. And that's what's happening in this passage. When this woman realizes who he is and what's happening, she goes and tells everyone the truth. I have this inconsolable desire, this inconsolable secret. And you know all the ways that I've tried to fill it. And that's why I'm standing here by myself every day, drawing water in the heat of the day. And this man came and he told me that he knows all those things about me and how thirsty I am. And it's God. And he came to give himself to me. And he, he didn't scold me for all the ways that I've tried to find this in the wrong places. He just came to say, I love you and here's what you've been looking for. You gotta go meet this guy. And so um, I wanna ask uh, Laura Pritchett to come and just share a little bit about um, what that was like for her. Laura Pritchett. Um, like the Samaritan woman, Jesus called me to himself by exposing my shame and feeling the emptiness from drawing from dry wells. For as long as I can remember, I've been very concerned about my morality. Am I good? Am I just? Am I doing it right? Add to that that I was a competitive swimmer through college where my worth and acceptance was measured based on milliseconds and constant performance and you have a very anxious young woman concerned with being good and right and perfect. My years after college were some of my most anxious years yet. Without swimming or academics, I had nothing to define me except for me. I ran to any well I could find to find worth and acceptance, work, relationships, and especially my own inherent goodness. For whatever reason, a few years after I graduated, the Lord brought to light a lot of the ways I was living in sin. And this was a crushing season. Me, imperfect. Me, sinful. Me, dirty and unclean. Me, hypocritical and full of pride. Yes, me. My shame began to eat me alive, and I spent years hiding who I really was, an imperfect and sinful young woman thinking there was no way I could be loved for the sin I had participated in and the empty wells I found myself returning to over and over. 
My shame told me that no one really loved me because no one really knew me, at least not all of me. This hiding game, this hiding game went on for years, afraid that Jesus and people would leave me for knowing how sinful I really was. A counselor once read a quote to me by C.S. Lewis that reads, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in a casket or a coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. After years of working on understanding that Jesus really did love me and die for me, and Jesus really had set me free from sin and shame, I was eager to meet this love and acceptance in the flesh. The best thing I've ever done is share all of me with people I love and trust and to be met with me too's unconditional love and the truth of the gospel. The Lord has always spoken to me through his children and hearing him move and love through his other daughters and my husband was unbelievable healing for me and the best thing I've ever done. I still struggle with shame. I still run to empty wells but Jesus' kind and loving invitation to come back to him without any shame remains true. His goodness and mercy continue to meet me, cover me, and make me new. Father, um, Lord, I ask, I ask this week that you would um, you would not let us um, numb out or distract ourselves, but that you would continue to press like a, a razor-sharp arrow deep into our hearts, um, drawing attention to this longing that we have and this pain that we have around it. And, and I pray that you would draw each of us away uh, to be alone with you this week and to have a conversation with you about this, um, to just pour our hearts out before you as you invite us to, and then to receive from you what you have for us. And so, Lord, as we uh, continue to worship, would you um, just continue this loving process you have of drawing us to yourself? In Jesus' name, amen.